This conversation is brought to you in part by Harvesthold from Verdant Technologies, with promotional consideration from Volcano Produce. Well, howdy, everybody. How the hell are you doing? I hope you're doing well. That is my hope and wish for everybody today. That everybody's doing well some way, somehow, that some part of your day is a bright spot. Hopefully, this broadcast is a bright spot. Hopefully, my encouragement for you is a bright spot. I know that I try real hard to make it happen. So welcome. We're glad you're here hanging out with us. We've got a fun show today. We're going to talk about marketing. We're going to talk about the future of retail. Retail, what's going on? The ups and downs, the economy, all kinds of stuff. I've got a guest here that's been a baller in this space for a very, very long time. He and I have crossed paths, started chatting. I thought, man, you got to come up here in this broadcast and just, you know, dump a little wisdom on this world. Don't keep keeping it in your back pocket, charging those clients like that. Come on, we got to share some love out here. So I conned him into coming on and hanging out with me this morning. He'll see what he says when I get all done. Please, everybody, give it up for the founder and president of Fusion, Steve Moreau. Sir, welcome to you. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Todd. I've been a fan for a long time. I'm glad to join you. Oh, it's an honor to have you. Thank you. It's just, I, I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to this chat because I think you have such a, a very unique perspective to share with people. And you've been out running around a long time in this space, probably a lot longer than people think. And you probably, uh, they're going to be like, what? So I look right forward here. to get in. Yeah, no, hey, you and me both, brother. I mean, like, I, I, some days I feel like I got in line twice. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> but this is this is going to be a fun chat. I'm looking forward to this one. I really am. Before we get going, if you wouldn't mind, and I do this to all my guests, if you just give everybody a quick little journey and bio and who you are, because I'd read your CV, but it's so campy when I read it. It's just better it comes from your heart. Let sure, people sure. Know you Happy are. to. Yeah. Lay it well, on you brother. Know, a grocery has been in my family for forever. Family-owned grocery chains. My uncles owned a grocery chain. My brothers owned a grocery chain. My father worked in wholesale and in retail. Um, I was a box boy. Uh, Me too. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And then uh, uh, worked my way around and ended up going uh, working for um, as a worked for L'Oreal, big company. Right. Right. And I was a director of sales and marketing there. And then went from there to a company called Wella, which was a uh, Procter and Gamble company, and I was uh, a VP of marketing worldwide for one of their divisions. And uh, after many years of that, I decided I wanted to do my own thing, so I started Fusion. And, and so here we are. Here we are, and that's sort of a, a quick take on it. I love it. I love it. Well, in that, I want to get in because I want to talk a little bit about your past too, as well. But you know. When I got into this and we started talking, I didn't realize this stat. I'm going to open with this because I think it's incredibly powerful. You're probably and are the longest running independent marketing firm that's been in the produce space, if I'm guessing. Yeah. You know, there have been some that were around and then they disappeared and then they came back. There's been some of that, but uh, we've been continuous for the last 26 years. Yeah, that's and, a long uh, track record in marketing, right? And especially in and 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 being in the produce space. I mean, that's a, it's a sliver of a big pie, right? Yeah, yeah. We've been in produce for twenty. We didn't start out in strictly in produce, but over time, we started collecting produce clients, or they started collecting us, and uh, and then before you know it, we are produce focused. I love it. Well, let's get into it. Let's get everybody, you know, up to speed. Tell everybody what Fusion is and what you all do. Well, we're a, a full service marketing agency, but we specialize in retail. So we're a B2B agency specializing mm-hmm. in retail. And we're a little different. You know, a lot of times you'll hire a marketing company and they'll come in and they'll say, here's the strategy, here's this, here's that, here's some beautiful ads, and let's go. We start with information. We do research, we do data analysis. And once we have a grip on our client, and where they're at and where they're at in the marketplace in comparison to their competitors, then we can build strategies. Then we can build uh, marketing campaigns and programs. We can execute uh, creative um, uh, messaging. So, so what we like to say is invest a little bit up front. Let's find out everything we need to know. And then we will utilize that information 100%. It's sort of like sustainability for research. Because we're going to use it in the strategy, we're going to use it in the campaigns, we're going to use it for LinkedIn posts, we're going to use it in sell sheets, we're going to do PR with it. Uh, it's going to be throughout everything that we do. So no waste product at the end. We, we really help our clients uh, uh, maximize their uh, dollar. 
Well, absolutely. Well, in this economy, I mean, that's that's an understatement. Let's back, I want to back up a little bit, but I want to get in. I do want to get into the data part of this. I think it's fascinating. I think it's a very unique approach. But I think before I get into that, I want to kind of frame up a little bit about more about what Fusion is, but also to to lean back into your background, because coming out of somebody like L'Oreal and P&G and in that environment, I mean, you know, data is all over the place. They have floors with nothing but people that just do data, whatever the hell that even means, you know, in their world. But you know, your background, as you brought up, is incredibly, uh, gives you a really unique perspective, right? I mean, you've got this family background in the retail side of it, so you can get the ebb and flow of what that is, right? And that's a really interesting position to be in. It's one thing to go shop at a retailer. It's another thing to be inside the office of the ownership of a retailer, the leadership of a retailer. It's a very different world and different conversations there than what you perhaps feel outside. But then, you know, you, you got this experience going direct to consumer in a lot of ways. And with 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 L'Oreal and P&G. So talk to me a little bit how those two things, or those three actually, if you throw in P&G and L'Oreal's one each, but how those things shaped you, those experiences shaped you that kind of has led you to where you are today mentally and that path that you're on and how you take care of your clients. Well, uh, you know, I think it's it's the total understanding of the supply chain from the very beginning all the way through to, to handing the product to the consumer. Right. And and the research has certainly done a lot. And as you mentioned, uh, bigger companies do a lot of research, you know, everything about anything. Um, So it's that understanding of the supply chain that I think uh, makes us unique and understanding the retail environment. Uh, Even when we first started Fusion, um, I remember going to my brothers who ran a small chain and saying, hey, listen, what would you like to see? in terms of information, um, if I was to come to you and they said, oh, we want to find out what our, what our competitors are doing, how do we fit in with our competitors, you know, are we outperforming them? So they gave me a whole litany of information that they wanted to see um, as they were sitting at their desk looking down into the grocery store from that two-way mirror, and, right? Uh, right? And, uh, and so I think it's the ins and outs of the sales and the marketing that has really helped understanding that it's supply chain. But the other thing is the distinction between sales and marketing. And, and, you know, a lot of times you'll meet people in the industry, not so much today, but when I first started in produce, uh, you'd say I'm in marketing and they go, oh yeah, you create sell sheets. And you go, well, that's not really marketing. That's just a sell sheet. Right. So, so it's understanding that distinction and learning the ins and outs of that. Um, uh, that I think has really made uh, us unique. And it's the understanding of retail, right? So that when we create something for the client, we understand retail. We're not just saying, oh, we also do, uh, you know, we sell uh, Christmas cards and we sell this and we sell that. We understand retail, we understand produce. And, uh, And so when we come back to the client, everything we do is really well thought out. With that, right. with that in mind. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, you know, and, and I, I say this all the time, brands, you know, and marketing itself, it's like a cloud, right? It's constantly evolving. And I think that any brand that's out there today that's in the same spot today as it was five years ago isn't, isn't growing, isn't moving. That's, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, yeah. You're, right. you're yeah. actually going backwards. If, if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. Yeah, 100% with that. So I can I can appreciate where that, that perspective comes in. And, and I, I want to get into, we'll talk a little bit about the data first. I want to get into it because I think it's really unique. And I think it's, to your point, so many people have this perception of it's a sell sheet. Oh, I need a backdrop for a booth. I mm-hmm. need, you know, a Christmas gift. And it's so much more than that because I think that you know, when I think about, again, a brand as being a cloud, something that's always evolving, which means you have to always be evolving in your thought process as, as somebody that is a brand leader, somebody that's driving a brand forward. You know, as we just said, complacency will kill every time. So that's you guys right. have worked with some really iconic brands. There's no two ways about it. You've got a longstanding relationship with the California Avocado Commission who do an amazing job of getting their message out there today. And you've got other iconic brands that you're working with. So I guess what I want to lean into is talk a little bit is how has research and data propel these brands and you know how is how have you shaped them a little bit by utilizing that thanks for joining the todd versation and now a word from our sponsor hi this is gordon robertson ceo of verdant technologies thank you for listening to todd versations our innovative post-harvest solution harvest hold fresh is a game changer in delivering 
longer lasting produce from crop to cart. Our patent technology slows the clock, extending the shelf life of fruits and vegetables, helping to preserve them at their peak. By simply inserting a sheet of Harvest Hope Fresh into packaging after harvest, our solution works to significantly reduce waste, deliver return on investment, and offer robust sustainability benefits in the perishable produce supply chain. That's a winning proposition for the grower, the shipper, the retailer, the consumer, and our planet. Contact us today and let us help you change your fresh future with this one sheet wonder. Harvestal Fresh from Verdant Technologies. Well, gosh, it's just, uh, uh, it's been terrific, you know, and, and the first thing I want to say is, I, you know, I would never take credit for the success of each of our clients. Uh, I'll, because they've done the heavy lifting. We're a part of that. And I, I'm proud to say, yes, you know, we've, we've, we've worked with iconic brands and, uh, incidentally, California avocados was our very first, um, produce client wow. 20, 26 years ago. And, uh, and they're still our client today. So, um, I'm pretty proud of that. I would so, be too. So, uh, so we have used information to help them in, in, in a myriad of ways, but I give them total credit because, you know, you can go to a client and say, here's information, here's data, here's what things are suggesting. And you basically, and this is true, you have two types of clients. One looks at it and says, oh, I knew that, or I don't believe that. And then they put it in the drawer. Yeah. And that's it. And then they go, well, that research wasn't any good because they've given all of their preconceptions uh, emphasis over what the research shows, right? And then you've got groups like California Avocados and some of our others like the Hass Avocado Board mm -hmm. um, who take this information and take action on it. And they'll say, we see what we have to do and we know exactly where we can use the data. So how do we use it? Well, it's used in so many different ways. Uh, we can do a study on segmentation of what clients are buying. Uh, when are they buying? How many times a year are they buying? And we could take that in a totally different direction and say, let's go to retailer A, see what they're selling and show them how their competitors are beating them. Because, you know, a lot of times you'll meet with the retailer mm -hmm. and they'll say, hey, man, we're doing fantastic. We're up like eight and a half percent. Right. And, and because they know their business, retailers know their business like nobody. Right. They understand. But what they don't always understand is there are other retailers in the market who maybe are doing 10 percent increases. So right. they're actually being beaten. So those are the kinds of things that we, we do for them from the strategic level, like who's buying to going into a retailer and actually creating a category review that says, here's how you can improve uh, your turns. Here's how you can improve what you stock, um, what you sell it for, all, all of those kinds of things. So I, I think it's, a, it's really wide ranging. And once our clients get used to seeing the myriad of ways they can use information and data, uh, they sort of like, I think, become, I wouldn't say the word addicted, but they understand the power uh, sort of like a secret weapon. Well, yeah, a couple of things I want to unpack there a little bit. One of which, you know, when you think about your tenure with, with Cal Avocado, you know, a lot of times marketing companies are like, you know, a pitcher in the bullpen, right? You're going to get called in to throw a couple of pitches and you're going to get pulled. Maybe you get a full inning, but they have that kind of longevity certainly speaks volumes to what you're talking about and the methodology that you all use, which is, which is, well, I, I'm sure other companies are, you know, in that same kind of a brain space, but you're literally telling stories now through that data. That's right. And I think that that's really interesting. And if you can, you share a little bit, maybe, you know, highlight some examples. I know we kind of touched on a little bit, but you know, some of the storytelling the data has brought to you. Yeah. Because, because I think back to, and I go back to this point too, before we fired off, but talking about people just creating sell sheets, right? So many young companies don't start to see the forest through the trees. Well, I need a sell sheet. Oh, I've got to go to every trade show to get noticed. That's really not the case. It's really not that necessary. It's really not that necessary of a spend. There's other ways to spend money to propel yourself forward. And I think that what you all do is, is 
fits to that mold a little bit. Not saying you're not advocating go to a trade show, but I right. love the storytelling that you can create from data. So if you wouldn't mind, share some examples of that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, let me tell you a little bit about it. You know, so, so yeah. why, first of all, I guess. Well, you know, storytelling has been around since the beginning of humankind, right? Yep. Uh, right. And for the first uh, millenniums, uh, it was all, uh, you know, this, this group would tell this group a story. And so it's sort of ingrained in us to understand stories. Correct. So, so when we first started, we were like a lot of other companies. We would say, oh, here's a, an Excel file chart and it shows you're up 5% here. And here's another thing over here that shows you're down 2% there. Well, these are just numbers. And how, so a number is a number, right? right. But uh, just understanding, you can't really understand from numbers. You need to analyze that and put all of the different pieces together. And once you start putting all of the pieces together, you start to say to yourself, this impacts this, and this impacts that. And now all of a sudden you start to understand the story of what is going on with a brand or with a retailer. And, and by doing that, now we can take this very complex data, turn it into a simplified story, which is very hard to do. Right. <laughs> right. Making complex easy is hard. And then uh, we can give it to the client. The client can then share it. Now, let me back up. They can share it with the staff. They can share it with a retailer. They can share it with a lot of people. If it was just numbers on, and charts, it's meaningless to everybody. But if we can tell a good story about why you should be selling something more of something, why you should get rid of a product, because it's not selling enough to be sustainable. If we can tell those kinds of stories, now the client can take it, share it with the marketing staff, share it with the sales staff, but also share it with all of the other departments. Because now all of a sudden, because we've made it simple and in a story fashion, all of the departments in the organization can understand why we are moving forward in this direction. Instead of saying, well, this is up 5% and this is down 32% and all of this is a factor of 3.25. And so that's our decision, right? Meaningless. Right. So, well, it's not playing, well, certainly not playing to a broad audience. Right. So we like our, our product to be utilized. I said earlier, to be sustainable. And to make it that sustainable is to make sure that everybody in the organization can benefit by it. That why the decisions were made. Why are we cutting a product? Why are we increasing a price of a product? Why are we changing our pricing strategy? All That's, because of this. Right. So it's like you're using data to basically create expectations. That's right. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. Which is really interesting when you think about it from that perspective, like it, it's, it, again, it's not about, Oh, you know, we know we're going to sell a lot of avocados for the Super Bowl, right? That's a no brainer. I think everybody knows the answer to that. Right. right. But when and why, can we sell more? How can we sell? I mean, at that point, which is really interesting when you think about, it, let's just stick with the avocado thing. You think about avocados yeah. for the Super Bowl. It's like, how many more can you possibly sell? Right. It's the number one. I mean, it's crazy, but what right. goes on right for that. And, but by utilizing that data, you're also saying at this day is going to be better than that day. And these people, you know, this folks are going to be looking for this and blah, blah, blah. I find that to be really fascinating because again, it's not about just putting out the sell sheet and a nice little floor block or whatever the case may be in the store, because it's so much more behind that. Well, and then you can go in and you talk about that Super Bowl, right? And right. wow, that Super Bowl was great. We sold so many hundreds of millions of pounds, whatever it might be. But then you can say, well, let's take a look at how we did over the last four years at Super Bowl. Let's take a look what happened the week before Super Bowl. Let's take a look what happened the week after and the week after that and the week after that. Let's take a look at how sales are up or down in certain weeks. What can we do to bolster? certain weeks, right? So what can we do at certain times of year? Why are people buying certain um, produce items more in one time of the year than another, even right. though even though that product is available on the shelf all year long? And if we see, why, why aren't people buying more at this time of year? Why, why, why? We get to that answer. We tell a right. story about it. We show them. And then all of a sudden you have a new mission. Our mission is to, to focus on a certain time of year to build sales because it. that's the, so it's those kinds of things. Yeah, no, I, I, it, well, I think, again, I think it's fascinating. And, I, and what, I, what I love about this conversation, why I was wanting to have it is that, you know, 
I deal with a lot of young companies, a lot of startups, a lot of different people that are doing different stuff, and they all have different paths. But the, the, the commonality is, is that especially young business, like I only have, you know, 50 cents to spend on marketing. Right. And so I got to make sure that I'm doing this sell shoe, this different things. I'm thinking, you know, to me, it's like, I think there's more for, for young companies to digest. And I think what you're presenting and the facts that you're sharing, the fact that yes, you're spending a little more money up front, but you're also kind of getting a walkway, a pathway to utilize data and what's already known and fat and basically facts. Right. As, as I said, you're creating expectations through data. It's really not a bad runway for a young company to consider to look at data more than say, you know, I keep picking on a sell sheet, but it's an easy thing to fall back on, but then to create that sell sheet mentality. Yeah. Well, I'll even tell you a story about a big company, a big company. And this big company um, told us, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to do this line of products. Right. And it was going to be a liquid line. And, uh, and they said, and we're going to go out and we're going to make headway and we're going to do all these things. And, and they met with us and we said, well, do you have any background in this? Do you understand the market you're going to be playing in now in these bottled products? And they said, yeah, we know, we understand. We know we don't need any research for that. We, we get it. We right. get it. But they didn't get it. They didn't do the research. And about six months later, that line was gone. So the question is, are you willing to roll the dice and invest in research in terms of product research, packaging, advertising, getting your salespeople on the road promoting without really understanding what the opportunities are or where the distribution patterns should be? Right. You, you need to understand all of that before you start creating sell sheets and ads and everything else, right? Um, Years and years ago, had a client and they said, we have $500,000 and we want to spend it in some advertising. And we're only going to be in, in two publications. That's it. Just two. And we're going to really create a demand for our product. And we said, okay, so you want to spend $500,000 for this national publication, two of them. And uh, you've only got distribution in this part of the country. So what are you thinking? We're just going to upset people when they don't have the product that product. we're advertising. Yeah. So, so it's all of those types of things. Uh, we're very fortunate. Um, when uh, Zespri first came in, uh, into the United States, uh, they were looking for opportunities to, um, to understand the distribution patterns of the United States. And so we went out and said, these are the markets your salespeople should be focusing on because these are where the opportunities exist. Right. So, so uh, understanding all of that, as I said before, understanding the complete supply chain is so important. Don't rush to the end consumer advertising because you think that's where you need to be to be successful. It, right. That's not the way it works. No, I hundred percent agree. I mean, you've got to you've got to touch you've got to touch inside before you go outside. There's no two ways about it. That you've got to create that runway and that pathway for what you guys, what you're advocating. And by utilizing the data and the format that you're talking about, it certainly gives you a pretty clear runway. But I think really something too that you touched on too is the spend, right? Yeah. You know, I, I hear this all the time. It's like, oh, well, here's, you know, to your point, we're going to go spend all this money for two publications that you hope somebody reads. It's like, you know, it's like almost like email advertising. Well, yeah, we send out 60,000 emails, but I only get 1% click rate. It's like, it's like, how is that a benefit? I mean, I granted, maybe that one person out of that 1% is the, is the one person you need to pay for what you just did. But again, for a young brand, it seems like you're, you know, like you're going to Vegas hoping to hit snake eyes, right? It's a, it's an, it's an awfully lofty bet in a lot of ways. Yeah. And how do they know that their messaging is work, is resonating? Correct. Any of those things. How do they know how they fit? How do they, I mean, did they go into their local supermarket and see other products and said, okay, we're going to go between these two products in terms of pricing? Or do they Some actually people do. Yeah, they do. But you actually need a pricing strategy. And the yeah. strategy isn't the same in all markets, right? If you're based in uh, in Los Angeles and you're shipping stuff off to New York, your pricing strategy may want to be a little different in New York than it is in Los Angeles. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's, I think in a lot of ways, as the industry has grown, you know, it was okay, the box of widgets is 10 bucks, right. no matter where you were. But now the industry has changed. You know, the, the, there's a lot more pressure back on folks. Um, to manage business for the retailers in a lot of ways, right? Whether you're right. category captain, whatever you want to call yourself. 
So I can see where, you know, businesses now need to kind of put some more bullets in the holster when it comes to being able to have deeper, more intelligent conversations with retail. I firmly believe that's why I did my, a lot of what I did was about the conversations that we had. It's about how do I understand what your, you know, if I don't understand what your issues are, I can't expect right. you to understand mine. But when we both figure it out and we walk that path together, a lot of great things can happen. And I'm sure that's the retailers right. probably embrace that logic in a lot of ways because they want you to do the lifting. Don't get me wrong. Retailers are very happy to have you do lifting. <laughs> That's what they want more than anything. hundred <laughs> percent. I know it. I know it. And I say that in jest, but it's the fact. Yeah. Right. So are you becoming a better retail partner by investing in data? Probably are. Well, and this is this, you are so spot on there, you know, and this is the other thing that we've seen in the past. Um, new product, exciting new product. And actually we've seen some of these products and we said, God, that's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. Then they get it into the retailer. It's on the shelf. They're in the produce department. Then you say to the, to the retailer, what are they doing to promote this? Well, nothing. Do you know how to use this product? Not really. Mm -mm. So, so a lot of times in our industry, not everybody, of course, of course not, but some people still go out and think that the end result is to have your product on shelf. It's not. That's the beginning is to get on the shelf. That's the beginning of the journey. Right. Now you have to inform everybody how it's used. You've got to create incentives for people to try it, to purchase it. And, and all of that stuff, just being on the shelf and being satisfied with that is a good way to see your product be eliminated from the shelf in a few weeks. 100%. Yeah, I, I, well, and, and I think a lot of times too, you know, the, the, the win is I got it on the shelf. I won, I'm done. Right. right. So, you know, spike the football. I'm going to get some Kool-Aid. Right. But but that's not the case. Your point is, it's like, that's great. But now what? Because, again, retailers are looking for help. They want some lifting, too. Right. There's only so much they can right. do. They have like, you know, 12,000 items that they're responsible for inside the, you know, the footage of their stores. And so it's really impactful for you to have that. Um, again, I go back to what I said, having those bullets in the holster like that. And data is certainly one that we're certainly learning a lot about. We're learning how to lose our data very quickly in certain manners. And we're trying to learn how to protect our data on our computers yeah. in other ways. So, you know, data is a really important conversation. I think it's going to become even more important um, as the economy changes, as society changes, the world changes. Data is going to become something that I think more and more retailers are going to make, you know, you, you may have an iconic brand that people love, but the data may support that it's not worth the shelf space that they're giving it Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 And, and then to be able to take that information and turn it into a, a creative, um, creatively exercise or in, use that information to, to create messaging and creative executions on ads and, and, and sell sheets that, yeah. that, that communicate the message that you learned at the beginning. Correct. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, fa really a great perspective when you think about it. I love what you said. It's like, you know, getting getting on the shelf is step one. That's that's yeah. and there's a lot more steps behind it, right? That's not that's the right. touchdown moment. That's it right. feels like it. You want it to be, you know, and I can believe me. I mean, I, you know, when we started this organic thing and you know, my peer group, when there was nothing on the shelves and nobody gave a shit about any of it back then, every PO, any opportunity to get into a store. I mean, God, if if the guy said, Call me back, you felt like you just, you know, won the lottery, right? Because you had an opportunity. <laughs> But it was yeah. so much more after that. And it was a real wake-up call for me. It's like, okay, now what? How do we keep, where's the next item? How do we keep doing this? How, what's the feedback from your site? What are we hearing? Because there was no data. Data wasn't a thing, you know, like it is today, 30 years ago, right? It just wasn't. Um, so to be able to keep those conversations going is incredibly powerful. It really is. I mean, I think brands got to get out of this little tiny box of what they know. And I think that's a problem too, sometimes when it comes to marketing. I see this a lot of times with social media as well. People stay in the box of what they know. And if you present them something outside the box, there's like that fear of, I don't understand it. Therefore, I don't uh, want to deal with it mentality, which is just a shit show for people too, right? You're, you're, you're limited by your own ignorance. Best way to say uh, it, I think. Well, you know, the most the interesting thing for me in, uh, is you'll go on to like, uh, let's say uh, uh, LinkedIn, right? Which is really a, a business platform and you'll see um, posts. Wow, my product is delicious. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> it, it better be delicious. Otherwise it's not going to be on my shelf, but why should right. I put it on my shelf? Why should I carry it? You know? Uh, so what, what, what we see happen a lot of times, right. Is that they'll just use their, their consumer messaging for their business messaging. 
which doesn't really make any sense because the retailer doesn't, well, I mean, they care, but they don't care that it's delicious or it's creamy or it's, uh, you know, got zing. Uh, they they no. want to know, how are you going to help me build sales? As you pointed out, how are, how are you going to help me do the heavy lifting? What information are you going to give me that can help me motivate my consumers to buy right. more of this? Right? right. Because at the end of the day, our goal with that retailer is to help them get their bonus by moving more of our product. Correct. So, yeah, no, well, I, I love that. I love, you know, I love that motivate, right? How do you motivate forward? And I think that's a really important part of when you think about marketing is the fact that marketing is designed to motivate. Marketing is designed to move the needle. That's right. And data is a part of that needle. You know, you, you all have got quite an honor. And, I, and I, I want to bring this up because I think it's so pointed in what we were talking about, about, you know, what, what you all are doing. But you guys receive retail tech's top 10 retail marketing service recognition. That's a big deal, right? That really is. I mean, it's it got to be full, you know, for 26, 27 years, you've been slinging hash out here in this industry. It's got to feel pretty good coming full circle in a lot of ways, knowing that the methods that you're doing, you know, every day are winning, not only for your clients, but for consumers. Can you talk a little bit about that honor, uh, what, it, what it represents and really what it represented to you and the team? I think that's, I think really where my question wants to lie is what that did for you all. Well, it was just uh, terrific and a terrific honor to be um, to, to be honored. Uh, yeah. You know, we do the work. Uh, our, 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 our greatest reward, while we appreciate the, the honors from magazines, uh, it, our greatest reward is seeing our clients' sales grow. That's what we're right. really all focused on. If we can help our sales grow with our, for our clients, that's really satisfying. But... Of course, it's just such an honor to be recognized by, by Retail Tech Magazine. And as you mentioned, it, it was really full circle uh, for myself and my staff um, it, to recognize the value that we bring to our clients, the innovative solutions that we bring, the creative execution, all, all of that. And all of us are, are very grateful uh, for, for that honor. Uh, and it's been wonderful because, of course, it draws attention to us as a, as a company. Uh, but, but I must say, you know, it's my staff that, that deserves the award. Uh, uh, I've got such creative people and talented people and smart people working for me and, uh, and with me. And so um, it was great to see them be honored as well. Well, no doubt. But, you know, and I appreciate the, the humility of the response, but bottom line, you, know, you guys just don't get to the forefront, right? And you know, whoever brand you're working with is at the forefront. They're the ones that's the poster child for your work. So you really right. are in the back. You're in the background a lot, right? You're, 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 you're the guy in the back of the theater that nobody really realizes is back there most of the time, which is great, which is your role, right? It's a part of what you all do, but to get yeah. that recognition is, is gotta be, you know, not to your point, client sales, keeping clients 26 years, that's all matters. But this is great. You know, that pat on the back is, you know, getting that affirmation is pretty important. Too. Oh, it's fantastic. Are you? It's yeah. fantastic. You know, but you're right. We always have been in the background. In, in fact, for the first 15 years in business, we didn't promote ourselves at all. Not once. Uh, we said when our clients are successful, we will be successful. And that right. was always our motto, really, is client success equals our success. And I still believe that today. 100%. But, but to have a magazine um, uh, and our peers and our and a clients and everybody recognize our work and our efforts and our talents, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice feeling. And to be able to uh, uh, take that magazine article that they published and you know, frame it and put it up on the wall – uh, it, it's 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 good. A, really, it's nice. important. It's, it's important, right? It's no different. It's no different than you know, working hard at the gym, working hard everybody to get that you know to get that support and that thing back. I mean, it. it but it also goes to prove that your methodology is working too, right? Let's be it, honest. It does, and it also <laughs> helps. You know, when when people are uh, looking for a, an agency like us to be able to say, well, tell us about yourself. When we can bring that up, yeah, it gives them more confidence. Yeah. Okay, you're not just telling us you're good, but there are other uh, groups and magazines and people telling us you're good too. It's like hanging out with the that. Kardashians. It's like hanging out with the Kardashians. You go up a level, right? <laughs> or down. It depends. It depends on how you want to look at it. Talk to me a little bit. You know, I, I, I want to throw this question at you because I got you in the hot seat. What do you think the biggest marketing misconception folks have out there that need to address and clear up? 
Oh gosh, there that's a big many. question. There are I know. many, many, many. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll list. Can I list more than one? I don't give a shit. List a hundred. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Speak your mind, sir. Speak your mind. Starting at ninety nine. No, go. <laughs> I'm going to well, run and get a beer and come back though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you know the the one is the one I already brought up, which is oh, sales and marketing is the same thing. Right. They are not. I could do a whole podcast with you just about that. They are yeah. not. I 100% agree with that. Next is that, and we discussed this too, um, that, oh, if we just do some consumer advertising, everything will be solved, right? Without any acknowledgement of distribution, understanding the marketplace, your pricing strategy, none of that stuff. We'll just advertise and the sales will come. They won't. And it's expensive. Now, does advertising work? Yes, of course it works, 100%. But everything else has to be lined up behind it. Uh, right. You can't just go straight to advertising. And finally, and this is a big one, and and when I talk about this one, as I have with our clients, um, sometimes they have a sort of a surprise look. And that is this concept that is wrong. If we could just get 1% of all people who don't eat produce to start buying we'd all be billionaires. Right. Yeah. You know, this is, this is like a friend of mine once said, Hey, I've got an idea for an app for an iPhone. And if I can just get one tenth of a percent of those iPhone users to buy it, I'll be making a billion dollars. Right. Well, guess what? It's not easy. No, it's not easy. So ask yourself, you know, why aren't they eating produce? Well, maybe some of the produce items, they don't like the taste. Well, how's marketing and advertising going to overcome that? Maybe some of the produce items, uh, they don't have enough money to buy. How's your marketing strategy going to overcome that? It's not. It is so much easier to focus on people that have already committed to your product. Right. People who have already been buying your product on a regular basis. Maybe they're buying $10 a month of your product. Guess what? Get them to buy $11 a month. Right. Your sales will go up dramatically and it's so much easier. Give them a new recipe idea. Give them a new usage idea. Tell them something about your product that they didn't know. Show them how they can use it with some other products. This is so much easier than let's get 1% of the people who don't eat to start eating. 100% agree with that. Oh, I, 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 I say this to people all the time. Take your 10 customers, your top 10 customers and get them to grow by 5%. Can you cover them? There's a question to go ask yourself, right? <laughs> Yeah. Right. So grow from within, you know, BC, that's, I think a lot of companies, a lot of companies do and marketing companies don't think this way. It's like they're, they, they want it. They feel like growing outwardly keeps them in a job as opposed to growing inwardly. I would much rather, you've already done the hard work of getting the vendor and you've already done the hard work of developing the relationship. Why not grow your top 10 customers by 5%? What a great, that would be a really good year at the end of the year, kids. That's and pretty simple math to look at. And it's so much less expensive. That I know. The heavy lifting's been done already. They've already said, hey, I like your product. Tell me right. more. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's where it comes into, you know, again, not back to that sell sheet mentality. You've got to start to advance your, your skill set beyond perhaps what you see and think and that's start right. to lean on data and start to lean on trends and start to lean on opportunities. And from that, you know, you can create better strategy. You can create better ad opportunity, you can create better consumer engagement by putting your money, you know, maybe there's just seven days in the month of April that is the only ones that matters to consumers for what you do. That's but right. if you don't realize that, you're not going to lean into it. So I think it's important to look at it from that angle. Yeah. And, and to keep, you know, it's sort of like the whole marketing thing. It's like a continuous circle, right? We find out information, we take it, turn it into strategies, we turn it into programs, we execute on it, we measure how we did, and then we do some more, a little bit of research, and then we go right. back out again. Right. So it's a continuous circle. It's just yeah. never a one and done. I 100% agree. I love it. That's a great answer, dude. That really was. I want to pick your brain a little bit too, because we're, you know, we're in a different world, right? I want yeah. to talk a little bit about some trends that are happening right now. Okay. You know, what just just share your thoughts a little bit about, you know, what may be happening in 2023 for these couple of things and you know what the issues and opportunities. First one I'm gonna throw at you is, you know, let's talk about retail real quick. What do you think and um, what are you seeing out there in the world? Well, um, Consolidation, obviously. Yeah, it's consolidation coming. continues to, to happen here, and uh, and for that, 
it's important for the smaller retailers, the regional retailers, I'll call them. They're not small, they're huge, but they're regional. Yeah. Uh, to, to really have a point of differentiation. But yep. that's also true for the supplier. What is, besides price, um, your point of difference for your products that you're selling? And that's really important because as these uh, chains be- consolidate, they're not bringing all the suppliers with them. They don't need 50 suppliers. They can, oh, I, w- I rely on these two. Maybe I'll pick one from the new chain and I'll bring them over. But everybody else to buy, thank you so much. Yeah. So you need to be thinking about uh, points of differentiation for your brand um, and, uh, and how you're going to sustain your brand through that consolidation should you be one of the ones left behind. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think this consolidation thing is is just starting. And I think that the Albertsons deal uh, is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out and what it does and what that does to everybody else. Because, you know, traditionally somebody raises the bar like that, you go to 5,000 stores or whatever the magic number is they're going to have yeah. together. Uh, people are going to have to pivot, right? So you go into proc, you go to PG&E and say, I got 5,000 stores. I want to buy shampoo from you. You got a big stick, right? And that's a bigger <laughs> stick than a lot of people have. And it's going it, to, that's going to be a, a game changer, but I also think you're going to see consolidation in the ag sector as well. I think you're going to see losing second generation. You don't have second generation farmers. People are retiring. You're going to see this. You know, I see that happening. I, I believe that. I believe you're going to see it in Salinas. I think you're going to see it elsewhere in the country as well. You're going to start to see this consolidation. Well, you definitely will. You, you know, um, uh, let me just say two things. You'll you'll definitely see it in in ag, um, uh, especially among the smaller players that don't have the. Uh, the, the deeper pockets, or they can't mm-hmm. say, uh, I've got 100 acres or 200 acres or 5,000 acres to rely on. I've got three acres. Well, you don't have, you, you know, you're not buying tons and tons of fertilizer or, you know, you're, you're the smaller guy. It's harder. Um, yeah. But I, something that I've believed for quite a long time is that look to the pharmaceutical industry in terms of what happened there 20 years ago, maybe 25 now, they were going through consolidation. Right. Every, everything that we do in retail follows pharmaceuticals. And take a look at what's going on there. And, and I'm not talking, I'm not trying to be political, but look at the power that they have now compared to what they had 25 or 30 years ago. That's not by accident. And, no. and as consolidation takes place here, Look at the power that some of these chains will have in compared to the rest of the chains, as you pointed out. So look at pharmaceuticals, look at the history of pharmaceuticals, whatever they're doing today, we'll be doing in about 15 to 20 years. Wow. That's a big, that's a big, bold statement, but I don't disagree with your premise at all. I mean, if you think about it, you're, you're spot on. And then if you take a look at pharmaceutical today, God, it makes up what seventy-five percent of the advertising dollars on television today. It's huge. It's, it's huge. It's insane. Yeah, it's so, insane. So for, for retail, I'd also say sustainability is important, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, retailers are into it. The consumers are into it, and they're on it. And so, if it's full speed ahead, and if you haven't gotten there, you better get there. Right. Uh, and then, uh, third for me for retail is pricing strategies. Paramount right. for retailers. Paramount for suppliers. Again, know your place in the marketplace. And, and unfortunately, um, as in the past, just selling low price isn't always going to work, especially nope. with sustainability being an important factor and something else that I'll tell you about in a second. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Price, you know, I, we, we are so stuck in this country about being cheap. And then when it comes to our food, it is such, you know, cheap has a hidden cost. It is such a terrible narrative. Because we don't value food. We don't that's value right. food enough in this country. And there's a lot of ways to look at that. That You want to do another show? That's a whole other show I'm happy to get into because <laughs> I talk about it all the time because I think it's really real. What about what about consumers, though? Let's throw the consumer side into this, the trends for 2023, because, look, that's well, the pocketbooks, right? Yeah, well, it's going to be the same thing as retailers. It's consolidation, but different. When wow. times are happy and flush and everybody's got a lot of money in the pocketbook, mm-hmm. they have brands that they use or buy. And then, they, oh, look, here's a new one. I'll try that. Oh, and here's another one. I'm going to try that. But as times tighten up and the pocketbook tightens up, they start consolidating their choices. They start going towards the tried and true and those experimental brands 
uh, well, we'll just save that for another day. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you beef up your marketing, make your consumers aware of why they should buy your product. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, you know, and it popped into my head while you were talking a little bit, you know, there's some activity out the retail sector based on this economy where retailers are actually deciding to not carry certain things mm-hmm. because of the price point. Not that the consumer's not buying it. They're just saying, hey, we're only going to carry this option of it because we think it's too expensive. That becomes dangerous too. In a lot yeah. of, especially for brands, because you have no say. It's just like you walk in one day, it's like, oh, yeah, I know we were doing $3 million a year in business, but we'll see you next time. See it. You know, I mean, it's just That's that right. quick of it's quick of an axe. Yeah. And and yeah. and on top of that, you know, there's been lots of research that shows if you carry too many brands, people get confused, don't buy as many or as much, and sometimes right. not at all. Because yeah, no. you know, if you look and you're looking for a, a you know, salsa and there's you know 90 items that you can buy in the, either the fresh or the or the uh, uh, jarred areas. Uh, you know, center aisle, uh, people just get confused and sometimes they just walk away. So in many cases, it makes sense for them to, the retailer to start pairing back what they're selling. And what better way than to say, hey, I'm going to focus on, uh, you know, my price points here. Well, you know, you're seeing a a lot of that today with businesses with a lot of these layoffs that are happening now, right? It's a great time for big business to reset themselves. They can, first of all, they have the excuse of the economy. So they're not the bad people in all this. Right. And they can cut the payroll down. I mean, I've seen it. I was sharing a story with somebody about a construction company that laid off practically their entire workforce back in the last downturn economy. They hired a lot of people back, but not at the same level. They really stripped the whole company down. It was really interesting to watch. But again, the economy said, well, it wasn't our fault. The economy did it to us. Right. So we can lift that heavy hand. And I think that's a lot of what people are looking at. I think it's a lot of what we don't think about. It's that scary boogeyman thing, but it's really a big part of what an economy does, and especially an economy that's not doing great. Right. Yeah. And that's People. why everyone out there needs to be thinking about these things. Yeah, I know. Mean, or have somebody that thinks about it for them, at least, you know. Yeah, 100%. Do you think there's anything? I mean, I know we talked about retail and consumers. We touched a little bit about the produce side of this business, you know, as far as what 2023 is. Besides consolidation and some of these other changes, is there anything that, you know, we didn't touch on there you want to throw on yeah, the table? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's one big thing. Yeah. And it's, it's I think it's a really big deal. Um, and it's not from... Oh, don't worry about it. Thanks. Um, this is the something that I think is really a big deal. And it's coming from the EU, right? The European mm-hmm. Union. Right. They have a new set of laws there called Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. And it's that's a lot of acronyms. That's a that's big acronym. A lot of acronyms. <laughs> but this is going to have sweeping. And I mean, absolutely sweeping impact on the entire supply chain. And it, it has the potential to reach us here. And let me tell you a little bit about what, what it is. It's, yeah. it's a set of regulations that impacts the need for sustainability, the global economy, human rights, uh, climate change, and overall encourage fairness. So, and it's any company with over 250 employees in Europe is being affected by this, but it also impacts their entire supply chain. So I'll just make it up and I'm going to make it ridiculous here so that it's easier to understand. So you're selling uh, some product in Europe and, uh, and so you have to have, make sure you're sustainable. The global economy is benefiting the human, you're meeting human rights initiatives, climate change, and uh, economic fairness. But you buy cardboard from the United States. That cardboard supplier has to meet those same regulations. And that cardboard supplier buys glue from Mexico to build the cardboard boxes. The Mexican glue supplier has Has to to follow has to follow. And it's not going to be long before that exact same regulation finds its way to the United States and other places. Yeah. So, so to me, this is the, this is a big deal. Yeah, it is. And again, I'll just say it one more time so people can go and read about this 
It's called the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. Look it up. It will impact us. uh, And it's going to impact your entire supply chain. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Gordon Robertson, CEO of Verdant Technologies. Thank you for listening to Todd Versations. Our innovative post-harvest solution, Harvest Hold Fresh, is a game changer in delivering longer lasting produce from crop to cart. Our patent technology slows the clock, extending the shelf life of fruits and vegetables, helping to preserve them at their peak. By simply inserting a sheet of Harvest Hold Fresh into packaging after harvest, our solution works to significantly reduce waste, deliver return on investment, and offer robust sustainability benefits in the perishable produce supply chain. That's a winning proposition for the grower, the shipper, the retailer, the consumer, and our planet. Contact us today and let us help you change your fresh future with this one sheet wonder. Harvest Hold Fresh from Verdant Technologies. It's interesting because one side was like, okay, that's great, right? We want to make a better planet. We have to start make we have to start calling bullshit on a lot of things. Right. But in the same token, I knowing what this is a little bit, I kind of look at it, it's like the electric car thing we've got to deal with in California. Everybody's got to get it to an electric car, but we don't have a power grid to support them. <laughs> well, right? that's true. Right. And and but and we don't want to talk about the conflict minerals it's taking to make the batteries, what we're gonna do with the batteries when we get done with that. Don't worry about all that stuff. We just gotta get there. And I think it's you know. One of those things when I see, hear about things like this, it's like, what is that fiscal impact going to be? How is that going to be? You know, is it you have to go all in right away? Is it an ease in process? How do we build it up? How do band, brands survive? You're a small brand. Boy, you talk about a heavy lift that could be not that it's that they shouldn't do the work. I'm not saying that, but the financial burden of what that work could be could be devastating to a brand. And if and the thing is, right, because not only are you trying to meet those rules and regulations, but now you got to turn your back and look back at everybody supplying you and make sure that they're doing it. And if right. you've got this long supply chain behind you, it's going to take a long time to work with each of them. And what do you do if one of them doesn't make it? Then what do you do? You got to go find right. somebody else. Yeah, that's a real challenge. I mean, it's, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I don't the logic behind it makes sense. I would be curious to see what the long term, what the execution premises, right? Because that's yeah. where the rubber meets the road. But yeah. I think that's so much of what we do. It's like, we love to go solve problems without figuring out how to solve them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we really do. It's like, great, we're all going to drive electric cars. We don't have the power for them, but we're going to drive them, right? You're going to have to buy electric We're going to build truck, more right? houses. We're going to build more houses, but don't use any more water. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's goofy. I mean, it's, and I get it. It's almost it's a lot of this is, is it, it's necessary, but it becomes a bigger feel good than it does a do good in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's where I think some of these things get a little bit dangerous is that we don't consider the overall ramifications of what those decisions granted. The overall ramification, what trying to make changes is good. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying getting from point A to point B is just as simple as saying we're all going to drive electric cars. It just doesn't that's work. Right. That's yeah, right. it doesn't work. A lot yeah. of work, a lot of work. And you're right. And everybody's stressed out with the amount of work that they already have. Now load this on top. It's, yeah. it's like double the work. So just yeah. be prepared. You know, you said something. I want to just touch on it really quick before I forget. You talked about doubling down. And I believe this to be true. When the economy is weak, I believe people need to double down and get more creative from a marketing perspective. Uh-huh. When they go either, either talking directly to their customers if that, or their, you know, to their customers or even to consumers if they have that big of a lift. Would you agree or disagree with that premise? Oh, 100% agree. You, yeah. you know, there's actually been a ton of research, independent research that's been done that says that uh, companies that maintain or increase marketing during times of recession end up on the other side of the recession with more market share. And why is that? Because a lot of companies uh, are starting to cut back. They'll cut back on marketing, right? Right. Oh, I don't want to market now because I'm nervous. I need the money. Well, if you're not marketing and you're not getting your messaging out, uh, or they're not getting their messaging out, what a great opportunity for you to go to the head of the class and announce yeah. what you're doing with no competition. And what did we say earlier, right? Is that consumers are consolidating their brand choices during these right. types of times. So what a great opportunity to increase your, your marketing spend or at least maintain it. 
and you will end up, I think it's three and a half or 4% more market share than you had going into this thing. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. This is not, not the time to be passive. It's the time to be aggressive, right? People, right. You can, there's other times to be passive. I don't believe this is it. I, I got to touch, I want to touch on something about you personally, and I want to get into this a little bit because I love what this is about and, and what you do. And I know giving back to me, I believe giving back is an incredibly uh, unique opportunity we get as human beings. It can enrich your life, you know, whether you're mentoring, whether you're giving back, whether you're donating time, even donating money, right? It's all a part of it. That's and right. I know that your efforts that you're about are in that same boat with me. Talk to me a little bit about who you work with in the, in the group called about my father's business and what it is. Um, and, and if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. It's a, it's a Southern California faith-based organization and it's dedicated to ha- helping the unhoused. Uh, we say they're not homeless, but they're unhoused. Yeah. What um, is what, Why? What's the Does a homeless person care if he's unhoused or homeless? Isn't it the same thing? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. I don't want to get, I'm not, I don't want to argue the point, but it's just like, I'm shocked by that what that means a lot of people who are living in tents consider that to be their their home if they're living in a trailer they're in their home so they don't consider themselves necessarily to be homeless but they do don't have a house all right so so any anyway we we are a group um uh we don't preach or proselytize we don't do any of that stuff we give food we give clothing, we give supplies, uh, we have events where they can come and get a hot meal. Uh, for all the holidays, we have hot meals. During the pandemic, we, had, we were giving away vaccines and, and things for, for them. And we work, do a lot of work with the city of Los Angeles. So uh, uh, we f- feel very fortunate to be able to do this and to help represent these people because, you know, they're citizens, too, and they have all the rights and yeah. voting rights and everything that all of us do. But people sometimes forget that. And uh, I would just say this organization was founded by uh, Pastor Kathy Huck. That's uh, H-U-C-K. Mm-hmm. And uh, you should look her up because she is an amazing uh, founder and, and the person who runs this organization. I'm fortunate to be the chair. But uh, she does all of the heavy lifting along with all of the volunteers. Uh, and, and we've got so many volunteers. We've got chefs. We've got uh, people just to go from encampment to encampment. Um, it's just, um, it's just a, a great group of people. Well, you know, I feel honored is, to work with them. Yeah, you know, it, this is such a huge, huge issue. And, and you know, it's interesting to watch, you know, you see people on the corner, it's traffic light, how many people don't want to make eye contact, how many people want to look away, how many people, you know, how many, but I think, I think about all the great things that this country provides. And I think that we have veterans sleeping under a bridge is just uh-huh. mind boggling children. I, I just talked to somebody on my, my lunchtime hero broadcast talking about, you know, kids that are homeless in the schools that don't have anywhere. I mean, they're, they're struggling and, you know, school is all that they have to look forward to in their lives. And it's, it's amazing that, we look at this problem. We, we we look at so many other problems first, you know, and, and and even problems outside of our own country before we start looking at these problems that we need to be solving inside of our own country. And um, I commend, yeah, I commend you. Tell me, give me just, you know, with your whole experience and what you've gone through, and you're doing this now. What has this taught you, or what is this experience working with about my father's business? You know, yeah. how's it shaped you a little bit? Because it has, you know, you give you give of your time or you give somebody a hug, it changes you some way, somehow. And you're doing a lot bigger lift than that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I guess the things that, that really have, um, the, the, the one thing you become aware of very quickly is that homelessness isn't, is the result of something else. It's not, Most of the time. It's, it's the result of something else. It's not yep. the, uh, the thing that we have to solve. Uh, getting people into homes will be the result of solving other issues in their yeah, lives. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing that impresses me so much is to see how many companies, how many people, um, how many organizations give of their time, give of their products, uh, give of their money to help these, these less fortunate people that, that need assistance. I can't tell you how many, you know, you know, thousands of shoes we get sent to us or, or sleeping bags, you know, tents, 
all kinds of stuff. It's just, uh, it's pretty amazing. And it's great to see uh, an organization and a community pull together. Well, but Southern but California needs it. They, they do, you know, but it's, um, it, it's unfortunate because I think what, you know, if I look into the future, the, the, the problem I see is we're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars on uh, homelessness, but all these different organizations, and I'm talking government organizations, all go about it in a different fashion. Right. They don't pull their thoughts together, their resources together. Um, we've been talking to the uh, city of Los Angeles about creating a, a standard best practices. You know, we know that there are homeless people because, well, they lost their job or they're poor. That's the easiest yeah. way to solve. Then we have people with mental illness. Very difficult. People with drug addiction. Very difficult. Um, so how do we solve the problems for each of those groups or subgroups and, and help them help themselves to get back into society and then building the home or building a shelter for them. Now that's the easy part. Right. Well, wave your magic wand. What would you, if you have, if you could do, if you could just come up with one thing to wipe this problem clean, what, what would it be? That's a big, man. That. that's a big question. Yeah. Well, it would be just that it's that all the organizations would pull their funds together and we have a common practice. Here's what we do when we see people with mental illness. Here's what we do when we see people with drug addiction. Right. Uh, you know, so that it's not um, spending billions of dollars to build uh, expensive apartment buildings isn't going to solve anything. No. Right. I know. A lot, right. If you go out and talk to a lot of people, they don't want to move into these places. We're happy here. <clears throat> and a lot you'll see these people with the, the, the on the streets in a tent and they're hoarders. They've got just stuff everywhere. Well, they need help, a different type of help than moving into an apartment, because if they move into the apartment, they want to take all that stuff with them. Correct. Well, and that's a big reason why people don't go into shelters, right? They, they, right? they either have an animal, they have their possessions, they can't bring them in with them. Yep. You know, that's a big problem. But I agree. I, I I love what you said. I I think that is a very fresh and a very um, powerful perspective to get everybody together on the same. You know, it's one of those moments where you order a couple of pizzas and six pack of beer and you all sit together and figure out how to solve the same problem you're all trying to solve. Get the egos out of the room. Stop worrying about your donors. Your donors will follow suit if you're doing a good job and come together and come up with a strategy that best serves the needs of all the people that are involved. Because your point's really valid, right? It's not, you know, the mental problem is huge. Right. Uh, the drug problem is huge. Homelessness, you know, is huge. It's a big problem, but it's all separate problems in a lot of ways. And they're not all, to your point, building a bunch of places for folks to go is not really going to solve what we need to get solved. And it's so expensive. I know. It's crazy. You know, oh, I've is. seen some of these apartment buildings. It's $500,000 an apartment to build. Yeah. So somebody's making money. Yeah. Well, again, it goes back to what you said, getting the right people, get all the people in the room with the same common goal, which is how do we fix this problem? I, powerful. Right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for explaining it in a way. And I think it's hopefully people will look in their own communities and, and ask themselves, you know, do I make eye contact with that stranger at the corner? And if I don't, should I? How do I, you know, I mean, it's a fair question to ask each other, right? It's a tough one. It just, you know, you don't have to give them a dollar to say hello, right? You know, it's interesting because I used to be one of those people that would look away. Now I make it a point to say hi to people. If they're sitting there on the street and you can tell they're, they're homeless or unhoused. Yeah. Yeah. I make it a point to say hello. Absolutely. They're, well, they're our neighbors. Well, they're people too, right? They, yeah. And, you know, we all started the same way. That's right. Yeah, no, so as we wrap up our time a little bit, anything we missed? What's next for you guys? What's next for Fusion besides, you know, kicking ass, taking names, throwing ninja stars, doing stuff like that? <laughs> well, no, that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> Perfect. We summed it up. Well, I think it's the same thing. You know, the thing that I think makes us uh, unique and special is we're always evolving. We're always trying to stay on the cutting edge of what's going on in, in grocery and in business and produce. And we're always trying to evolve our, our, what we offer, our services, and make them the best, the easiest. Um, and whether that's a research or data analysis or, or marketing or creative execution, we do advertising and PR, um, all of those things. Um, it, we're just always trying to improve and make it better uh, for our clients 
And it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, when our clients succeed, we succeed. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and we're getting involved with AI, uh, right? Artificial intelligence. And uh, that's going to be a, that well, it's already starting to have a, a great impact on things. That's going to be wild to watch that thing yeah. come to fruition of what it's going to mean. And, you know, I mean, you're going to, we're going to get to a world where we're going to know we want something before we know we want it. <laughs> well, you know, I heard a statistic recently uh, that right now, 90% of, of all information is held in the human brains across humanity. And in the next uh, 30 years or so, or even less, I believe, uh, we're going to go to about 49% of all information and the rest will all be AI. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. I, I would I would think, you know, you take let Elon put a little neural link inside above your ear and next thing you know, be surfing the internet, not even having to go online, just be looking through your own eyes at it, right? It's coming. No, look, the world's gonna be, you know, it's funny because you you know you think about the world going forward and you think about the movies you've seen and these different, you know, these, you know, space and this and all. So it's like, yeah, well, it's not looking that crazy anymore. Some of these ideas from 30, 40 years ago is like they're not that crazy today. I know, right? If we can imagine it, we can do it. That's what I think too. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. been a dude, this has been a fun chat. Thank you for hanging out with me today. I think it was, I mean, you're super informative. I mean, I really appreciate how you just rolled up the sleeves and shared with people um, you know, some details that they may not think about and some things to ponder as business. I mean, I, I think it's you know, you gave as I like to say you gave a nice masterclass today to a lot of people, so I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I love the conversation, and I do hope that uh, everybody listening or looking in uh, uh utilizes some of that information. I think you're going to open up a lot of people's minds, right? And I think we, especially when we start talking about this economy and why we should be doubling down in an economy as opposed to, you know, holding back the purse strings. I, I yeah. see it. It's like I shake my head going, yeah, it's not, that's not your best choice, but it's your choice. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think it's great. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Come back anytime. I'd love to chat more. Thanks. I'll see you next week. Okay, done. <laughs> Everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate you listening to Toddversation. Remember, go check us out on social media, TLC underscore Toddversations. We're there on social media. You know why I'm on social media, Stephen? Why? Because that's where the cool kids are, and that's where oh, I want to be. Oh, there you go. That's where I want to be. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you very much. Remember, go make inspire somebody today. It's really easy to do. Give somebody a hug. Give them a high five. Tell them you appreciate who they are. Make a difference in somebody's day. You have that ability to do it. You're the only one holding you back from doing it. So go do it. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Much love. See you soon.